I know this isn't the exact way that we thought we were going to be meeting tonight, but, you know, I believe that God is sovereign, and He is over all things, and we're kind of, we're, we're trusting in what He is doing, that He is good. And I feel like um, we're going to be studying Psalm 42 tonight, and I feel like this is what God wants us to know today. Um, it's something that has been beating me up all week as I've been studying. Just, you know, if I don't know if your Bibles, if you want to turn there to Psalm 42, but there's a heading on the top of my psalm, and it says, yearning for God in the midst of distresses. And I don't know about you, but we've been living in the time of distresses, in a time when things are, seem like they're out of control. And I think that God just wants us to know we, we got thrown another curveball this week, and we're just trusting the Lord. That what is the right response? This is what's been going on in my life, is what is the right response as believers to what's happening in our world, whether it's COVID, whether it's rioting, whatever it's uh, racial injustice in our country, what is the response of us as believers? We're going to be a voice that's going to go out into the world. They're, they're gonna, people are going to see what it is in us if we respond rightly, if we respond in a godly manner towards what is going on around us. In Psalm 42, just to give you a, a, a little background on it, but before I get into that, I j there's, we've been doing the Psalms for the men's group on Saturday mornings, but we haven't got to Psalm 42 yet. But we, as we go through the Psalms, maybe that's something you haven't studied before. Maybe it's not something that you've known. So just a little background on the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms range from the time of Moses to the time after the Babylonian exile. So we've been studying all that here on Wednesday night. And so there's a bunch of different authors that have writ written these psalms, and they were songs, the songs that they were sung for different occasions throughout, throughout the history of the Israelite people. A lot of songs of ascent as they were going to uh, Jerusalem, they would come and sing these songs of ascent. And so now we're, we're, we're looking at these psalms and so they, I think one of the big things we need to know is these were to be sung. So when we sing a song, it's something that continues to repeat in our minds. We begin to learn it. And I really love this psalm. There's some headings at the top of these psalms, and not everyone has them. But if you look at this psalm, it has, in my Bible, it says, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. So these... This word contemplation, and your Bible might say a mascal, this is a word that means instruction to, to make us wise. And so contemplation, a, uh, something that's going to make us wise, and it's written by the sons of Korah. Now the sons of Korah, Korah was the grandson of Kohath, who was a son of Levi. So this is part of the Levitic tribe, these were the priests. And the sons of Korah were a group of, a subgroup of the priests who were in charge of the ministry of worship. So they served as musicians in the temple. And so that gives you some background on who the person is that we're doing. You can read about the sons of Korah in First and uh, Second Chronicles. Korah himself was, had turned against Moses and he got wiped out by the Lord. But the sons of Korah came alongside and... Um, and began to write these psalms. They write 11 of the psalms that we know of. And so these, here we have a, a Levite 
who's a son of Kor, who's one of the sons of Korah writing this. So that's significant. Another thing that we learn, and I just want to give you this background before we even open the passage, because as you're going along, you, it, it may your mind not be able to comprehend exactly what we're talking about. And if you have a picture of it before we go into it, then it's going to make more sense. So we're going to see that this son of Korah who's writing this, he's, he's a Levite, but he's, he's in a location where the Gentiles are persecuting him. They're oppressing him. And he's um, being questioned about his faith, where something bad is happening to him and he's being questioned about his faith and asking where his God is at. Sounds like the time we're living in right now. Seeing the things going on around us, the, the attitude may be, you know, where is God at? Where is your God at when bad things are happening to you? Um, he was a worship leader that had led, we're going to see that he talks about, he had led these processionals to Jerusalem. So we'll see that in there. And so we now have this thing where we're, we're seeing that the psalm is something to be sung, but it's also instructional. So we talk about that in, uh, in Timothy, it talks about how all Scripture is given so that we can be given doctrine and reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And this psalm is no different. I really feel like God uses this psalm in a way to open our eyes to what's going on, what he wants to go on in our lives, and how Christians should react to situations that we're dealing with right now in our lives. So I'm going to read through the psalm. And then I'm going to pray, and we're going to, so make sure you're in Psalm 42. It says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So let's pray. Lord, we just, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it's timeless, Lord, that um, you're instructing us today. You have brought us, whether we're here or on a computer, God, because you have something important that you want us to know from your word. I pray, God, that you are exalted through it and that we learn and are transformed by this. God, may you be lifted up through all of this, and Lord, we just want to see you glorified. Teach us, Lord, and help us to obey you as we understand your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're looking at, let's go back to the first verse. 
It says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. And I think this is a, uh, a common, you know, we can relate to this type of imagery. A deer panting for water, a, uh, a dog panting for water. We've seen those types of things. I was in Israel two years ago, and um, we had had an opportunity to go to the caves of En Gedi, and the caves of En Gedi are like this, it's almost like an oasis in the middle of the desert. So it was hot that day. And basically when we go on these trips and you would go on excursions to go look at something, there would be, you would get one bottle of water on the boat, or on the, on the boat, on the, uh, on the bus, you'd get one bottle of water. And then you could take more water if you wanted to, but typically if you were leaving the, to go check something out, you would take one bottle of water. And we had gone, and it was pretty hot that day, and it was like two in the afternoon, the temperature had risen really high. And we went there, and a lot of the people were, that in my group, were tired, they just wanted to go home. And so the one who was running the, the tour for us said, everybody's got 20 minutes to get, go see all the caves of En Gedi. There's like waterfalls, there's alcoves that you can go look at, these trails you can go up in. And this was like, one of the coolest things that I had an opportunity to go see. And so there was me and my brother and another man, and we took off saying, okay, we've got 20 minutes. We're going to go 10 minutes up, 10 minutes back, and we'll make it to the bus and we'll get out of here. So we went as fast as we could up the, the one side. You had two sides you could go up. So we go up the first side. And the problem with that theory that I had was that I didn't have a lot of water. I was already down to half my water by the time we went off on this hike. And we're going up quickly, and you're going with gusto when you first start out, but you start getting tired pretty quickly. And so I'm going up there, and we make it about seven minutes in, and I'm out of water. And now it's just like beating down. You're jumping back and forth over the stream. I remember I was taking water and sprinkling it on my face, just everything I could do to, to just maintain for this. And I knew we had to get back. So we get to about the 10 minute mark and it's time to return. And I look up and I see, oh, if you just go a little bit further, you can cut across the creek, come back down the other side, we'll get to see the whole thing. You know, so we'll go up there. So the problem is there's two minutes that way across, two minutes back, to just to get to the point where I have 10 minutes to get back to the van. So we make that trip. We decide, let's just go for it. We went for it. By the time, the other problem that we had with this was that on the way back, um, the terrain was different. We knew this terrain. We didn't know that terrain. So we're on the way back, and there's different climbing. There's different, all kinds of things were different on the way back. It gets to the point, we're about 10 minutes out, and we've got five minutes to go. And I had run out of water a long time ago, and I told the two that were with me, my brother and Daniel, this other guy, I said, I'm going to the van, I'm gonna to go to the bus, let them know, I'm gonna just take off. We can't like be doing this together, I'm gonna to scoot by as many people as I can, try to get down there, because at this point, I don't wanna be left at the caves of En Gedi when the hotel is two hours away. So I take off. I'm flying down through there, um, probably faster than I think I was, but I'm, I'm going down quickly, it's hot. I get all the way down there, and like most things, when you're with a group of people, the, um, the bus was not leaving exactly at 20 minutes, but I had spent myself completely trying to get back to it. So what happened to me in that moment was, all I could think about was, I've got to have water. I'm so thirsty at this point. I hadn't had water. It was burning up. I got, and I'm now in this mode of I'm longing for this water. I'm panting for this water to be able to 
to be able to quench my thirst. And what happens to our mind when we're in that mode? Our mind becomes this thing where we're singularly focused. It is like instinctual that our bodies are driving us. I don't want to talk to anybody. I need to get something to drink immediately. That's what's going on in our heads. And this word here that the psalmist is using is to long for, to cry out for. And that's the way he is, if we look here, it says that he's panting for God in the same way, crying out, seeking after God in a mighty way. And if you can picture that thirst and that desire in your own mind and heart, this is, the soul, this is what his soul is longing for, this time with God, this time in his presence. This is the major theme as he begins this psalm. It's something that is, the heart, is his heart cry, is that he wants to know God. He wants to be transformed by God. And there's nothing else that will quench it except knowing God in some way. And so, I mean, if we think about him, and, and he's in an exiled situation. He's away from the places he wants to be. And there was restrictions on his worship. He knew he did, needed to go to Jerusalem. He wanted to go there. And I just think about the grace that's been shown to us as, as believers, how we, we have unlimited access to go before God. We have, we have the ability to go at any time. We have the ability to seek God's face. And, and this, in John 7, Jesus says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And he who drinks of the water that I give out of, the innermost, out of his innermost being there shall flow rivers of living water. Not only will you, your thirst be quenched, but you'll now be this spring that's gonna to continue to help others. You're gonna be this life-giving person if you go to God and seek out Him for your spiritual thirst. When it's, so to know Him, to spend time in His presence, that's what we're talking about when He's saying He's desiring to be before the Lord. He's, he's panting, His soul is panting for God. We no longer have to go to a particular place. We have access at any moment and any time. And we know this stuff. We, we know it. You know, we have constant access, but, you know, as I was thinking about this, I think, what are we panting for? What are we as Christians panting for? Are we panting for God? Is that the thing that is, that is most important in our life? And I, you know, we're in this, Tim's talked about it. We've all kind of had these conversations that, COVID has revealed a lot of stuff in our lives. You know, what exactly do we pant for in life? Is it activities? I know when we first got locked up, activities were the big thing. Are we gonna, I, I, I can't play softball, I, I can't play basketball, I can't do these things, we can't come together anymore. S sports, playing uh, swimming pools, none of those things were open anymore and suddenly people started trying to figure out, well, well, how am I going to spend my time now? My time is now mine, and I don't know what's going to fill that void in my life. And as we continue to move forward, I was thinking, you know, as we want to get back in this building, and we want to start coming together once again, I thought, a lot of people, we talk about fellowship. Oh, I just want to get there to be able to fellowship together once again. And honestly, I think to myself, this is me as well. If fellowship quenches my thirst, then I'm panting after the wrong thing. I'm not panting after God. I'm panting after the fellowship of my brothers and sisters. Now, we are commanded 
to not forsake the assembling together. We are the body of Christ that comes together. But I'm just saying your mind, if it says, well, I'm completely fine coming into the building and I just want to see my friends again, then you're missing the point of what God wants for you. He wants you to pant after him. He needs to be the thing that, that quenches your spiritual thirst. Only God can satisfy that type of thirst. It, it really goes back to, we've been going through all these kings, and one of the saddest things that I see in, when the kings are ruling is that the kings continue to leave the high places up. And it's because they didn't want to know God and his righteousness. They were fine quenching their thirst with a counterfeit form, something that, something that only kind of appeared to be the same thing. It was counterfeit. They didn't please God then, and they, we don't please God now when we set something up like that. God consistently calls out his people for honoring him with their lips, but their hearts being far from him. So it's not a light thing. I just don't want us to, to say, oh, finally, I'm coming back together into this place. When God's saying, I want you to pant after me, that can be done at your home. That can be done in places where we never gather in a building he wants you to pant after him. And I'm preaching to myself when I say this. This is what God's been talking to me about. So we go to verse two, and it says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So his, his soul was not just thirsting, but he's desire, desiring the time when he can come before God once again. And I, there's a huge distinction here. He talks about the living God. This was completely opposed to the false gods of the time. This is a clarification of who the real God is. The real God is the living God. The living God matters. He's, he's the one, all the nations, all the gods of the nations are idols. The living God matters. And if you're a believer, we serve the living God. He's crucial. What good does it do to serve, serve some, some God that's, has no power and is dead. We need the living God. And, and I was just listing some things that characterize the living God, where we have hope. So this is what the psalmist wants. He wants to come before the living God. The living God gives life in creation. He lives with his people. That's what the living God does. He defends his honor when mockers like Goliath and Sennacherib come. Uh, he's more powerful than death. He affirms life. He says that, he says, I am who I am. He is the source of all life and is uncreated. He hears the cries of his people, which is what we need in our lives right now. He hears the cries of his people and he responds and he carries them. That's the living God. If you think about the Trinity, God the Father is the living Father. Jesus is called the resurrection and the life and the spirit is the life-giving spirit. You can see why the psalmist, with a right understanding and a right view of who God is, is longing to appear before the living God. There is great joy, there's great release when you go before the living God. He's important. So we get to verse three, and it says, my tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? So this is interesting. The psalmist is in the midst of something that's horrific, something that's terrible that he's trying to deal with. It's, 
It's so bad that when the outside world looks at him, he's seeing that they see that it appears that God has abandoned him. Okay, so he's dealing with that situation, and then on top of that, the outside world is coming in and saying, where's your God? Where's he at? They see it. So now the psalmist is dealing with two things. He's dealing with this, he's already dealing with a situation that's no good, and now he's got people coming before him and tearing him down in the midst of it, asking him where his God is at. The... um, You can see them saying, if God's so great, where is he now in the midst of this? You're always trusting in this God of yours, and bad stuff's happening to you. You know, and that makes it even more difficult when when we have people around us who, who know we're Christians, and then they see something happening to us, and they say, yeah, you're gonna trust in your God? We see it all the time on Facebook. I don't think prayer is gonna do anything. You, you always say, you're always turning to prayer when we need action. The living God is the one we need to turn to. We need to be on our knees before God. He's the one. And not listen to man, but listen to God. So we've got to this situation. This is the cry of his soul by the time we get to verse 4. And when this happens, when, when all these things are happening, when we're thirsting after the Lord... When, when people are coming against us, when we're in a bad situation, what does his soul do? What does the psalmist's soul do? If we look in verse four, it says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Um, when I look at this translation, I, I, I took the ESV, I'm, Let me read you what the ESV says, because it rearranges some of the words in a different order. And it says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. So think about it. When you're dealing with these situations, bad stuff's happening, we're, we're dealing with terrible times in our life, whatever it is, feel like everything's taken away from you. One of the key the psalmist says is to remember the times when, you've, when you have, God has blessed. God has blessed your life. He remembers the time when he went with the multitudes and they're all going. It's not about the multitudes, but it's about the multitude going to praise the one who is the one living in true God. That's why he's going. So we need to continually remember the mighty and amazing things that God's done in our lives the wondrous times when we have come before the Lord and worshiped with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can remember times when we've been in this building, whether it's at Koinonia, whatever it might be, times on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights when God has worked in a mighty way. Because think of the things that had happened, what have happened in this room. You know, people pass from death unto life when we come together. I mean, how amazing is that? Remember those times, the time when someone got on their knees and trusted Christ as their Savior. These are the things, when we're down and out, say, Lord, I'm going to remember those times when, when you were big in this room, when we came together. You know, God is receiving praise in this room together when we come together. It's, it's amazing. The Holy Spirit, when we come together as a group, He's working in the lives of His body to 
to make us function together. It's amazing. The psalmist didn't forsake the assembling of, of himself with the others. He wanted that. It, offers, it often takes times like what we're going through right now for us to think and say, boy, I really miss those times. You know, we miss, we don't recognize the blessing. We may take it lightly sometimes when we come here and just come in, go out. And God's saying, the psalmist is telling us, think about those times when we came together and what God was doing. Be expectant that God's going to do something amazing when we come together and we finally get to join one another again in this building. So the psalmist, he remembers this, and then we get to <clears throat> verse 5 and 6. It says, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, land of the Jordan, and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. So next, the psalmist begins to preach to himself. When we're, when we're down and out and struggling, we, we need to preach to ourselves sometimes. And what does he say? He tells himself, hope in God. What a, at this time, we can look for all different areas to hope in. Are we going to hope in the government? I don't think we're going to hope in the government. Are, are we going to hope in the economy? Can't hope in that. It's, it's struggling. So where do we go? We go to the living God. We've got to hope in him. As Christians, don't be disturbed and worried about everything that's going on around us. We need to preach to ourselves and say, self, I'm going to hope in God. Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this quote, and I'm going to read it. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing his, this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down on my soul? He asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. You know, when you and I are faced with these difficult situations, and struggles, we need to hope in God, not, not hope in the things around us because we serve the living God who's done mighty deeds, who's done awesome things. And I really think, how do we preach to ourselves and how do we hope in God in this time? After the cross, we have to speak to each other about the gospel. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I just want you to, to, you hear this message and you say, I don't have any of this peace. I don't have hope in God. You know, God says that he is a rewarder of those who desperately seek him. Seek the Lord with all your heart. And this is what he says in Romans 8.28. We know this very familiar. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 8.28 because we're going to read that and read down through the chapter. And I don't want you to miss what Romans 8.28 has to say. Because we can sometimes gloss over it. It can be something where we've looked at it, it's become so commonplace in our hearts. But Romans 
says, and we know, so hard times, difficult times have happened in our life, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We as Christians have memorized that verse every time hardship comes, and we, we tell it to people, but do we believe it, that when we run to other things and hope in other things, are we believing what he says here? So we move on to 29. Let's keep going. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. If you look at those verses, this whole point of us going through these trials, all these purposes working out according to his will, he's transforming us into the image of his son. Moving on to 31, it says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall shall separate us from the love of Christ? if, If that doesn't give you hope and joy, right here, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. How, how much worse could it get? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He loves us. For I am persuaded, and this, this should be our anthem when we, when we fall into trouble. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If that doesn't give us hope in the midst of of struggles, we've got to preach to ourselves and say, God, you love me. I I am in this place where I feel like you're far away, and yet... You have made these promises that in Christ, I am your child. Transforming information we get in Romans 8. Take those verses, memorize those. So we also see here in going back to Psalm 42, we also see that he's in the land of Jordan or of, and of Hermon that mountain range, and Mizar, which means uh, little hill or little mountain, probably all a connected mountain range where he's located. He's going to praise him from there. That's where he's going to go and praise him. So we see that he is away from his comforts. He's away from his home. He's away from the place where he wants to be. He's remembering God. He's, rem- he's remembering how God is blessed. And then we get th- this psalmist goes through these ups and downs Throughout, throughout this psalm, he's, he's struggling at different times. And we get to verse 7, it says, Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. 
So deep calls unto deep. I don't want us to like just scoot by that, by that phrasing. This phrasing is, is important. It, it gives us the picture here of not of gentle streams, but we have this tempest and water, that tempest of water that's coming and going. We've got deep calls unto deep gives the picture of wave after wave. If you've ever been in the ocean and you're seeing, and you, you try to get up and it keeps knocking you down, that's what the psalmist is saying this is like right now in his life. He's, he's being wiped out by these waves. But look at this. How do we continue to remain strong in the midst of it all? Look at what he says. In verse seven, he says, it's your waterfalls, all your waves and billows have gone over me. He understands the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. I can, I can withstand the waves because he's already remembered that God has loved him. He was his, he's his salvation. He's taking care of him. He's a God who cares for him. Even in the midst of these, he knows, well, these are God's waves that are being thrown at me right now in this moment. I can trust in him because he loves me. He's taking care of me, and I'm seeking after him desperately. This is what the psalmist is, de- is dealing with right here in this moment. We go down to verse 8. Um, I just want to say, even if we don't feel it, if we don't feel like God is with us in, in a moment, it is important for us as Christians to continue to affirm the truths that he's already told us, to, to lift our hearts, builds our faith as we look into his word and we trust his plans and what he's doing. So verse eight says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and then the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. So this word loving kindness is the word has said. It means kindness, mercy, favor, or steadfast love. It's derived from another word, hasad, which means to bend or bow oneself, to incline oneself. It denotes that condescending love that God has for his chosen people. And what a precious thought to know that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the waves, the believer can trust that God is bending low, in a sense, to love us. How many times have you woken up in the middle of the night and you're worrying about a situation and to just take that moment and pray and reaffirm that, that God loves you, his loving kindness is near to you. He's bending low in the midst of it. He may not feel like he's close, but he says that he is. We trust in that. We hope in God in the midst of it. Verse nine says, I will say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So this is, if you look back at the end of verse eight, it says a prayer to the God of my life. He begins this little prayer. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He's once again, he's asking himself, he's, he's up, he's down, he's up, he's down. It's the Christian life. That's what we deal with all the time. Is, is God with me? Is he not with me? And when I do, I... I pray, I come before the Lord. He declares that in the same sentence, God, you're my rock, the firm foundation, you're unshakable. But then he asks, he asks why? You know, and why have you forgotten me? Why am I mourning? He's asking himself these things. And why does he say that? Because that's what he feels. He's, he's feeling these, these things. 
If God is so good, why wouldn't you just get me out of this? And yet, you know, we don't see the psalmist here saying to himself, get me out of this trouble that I'm in. It's, I'm, I'm in this place, I wanna know you. I wanna hope in you. I'm go- it's gonna happen again. At some point in the future, it's gonna be different. I'm gonna continue to hope in God. So have you ever felt that way? I mean, we see the Psalms. The Psalms are littered with people crying out to God, wondering what's happening, but they always finish up with an idea of, but I'm gonna trust in you. I'm gonna trust in you, God. Whatever's going on, I'm gonna trust in you. And that's what this psalmist is doing here. We get down to verse 10. It says, as with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? The the taunts continue to happen from his enemies, continue to pile on the psalmist as they continue to reproach him. And you get this feeling that during this time, it was taking some sort of physical toll on him, like his bones were being broken. It can be wearing on you, constantly defending and constantly trying to keep things together yourself when you've got God there. It can feel that way. But he's saying, he's trying to preach to himself, hope in God, and that's what we need to do. And finally, we get down to verse 11. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So he, repeat, he repeats the same refrain that he had in verse five, saying, hope in God. And the word hope means to wait upon God's perfect timing with a confident and strong trust in God about the future. That's, that's key for us as believers. The world is looking. The world sees Christians, and they're either gonna see hypocrites who get worried every time, every time things go bad and struggle to trust the Lord. It's fine. We can struggle, struggle to trust the Lord. I mean, we're, we're human as well, but we have the Holy Spirit. This is why we need to preach, preach to ourselves these types of things. Know that God is in control. Trust in him. Know he's sovereign. You know, we shouldn't crumble under the weight of circumstances that are out of our control. We just need to trust in the Lord. He's our rock, our salvation. Like I said, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. If, if this, everything that's happening in the world has you so overwhelmed that you don't know what to do, you go, God calls us to come to him, admit our dependence upon him, admit we've sinned before him, Put our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ, Jesus came to the cross, he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, he came to this earth, lived the perfect life we can't live. He knew that it needed a perfect sacrifice for his sin to wash our sin away so that we could be restored, we could be redeemed and brought back to him so we can have peace. We can be in a place where we can live once again for him and his glory in the proper way we're supposed to be. We'll be sanctified, being used for the purposes that he wants us to be used for. And if, you're, if you know the Lord, Psalm 34, 19 just speaks about many are the afflictions of the righteous, but this is the hope right after that. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
I think that's what we need to just hold on to in this time. Pant after God right now. Don't, don't settle for counterfeits. Don't settle for anything that isn't going to bring and satisfy that, in, that thirst that you have because God's the only thing that's going to quench that thirst. So let's pray. Lord, we just, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that, that we can trust in you in the midst of times when things don't seem to be in control and we see craziness all around us. Lord, we want to be people who honor you with our lives. We want to be people that are a light in our communities, that bring life into communities, that have drank from the spring of your love so that we may be life-giving fountains going out into our neighborhoods. Lord, for people who are hurting and scared, God, would you fill us? Help us to seek after you, God. We just give you all the praise and glory. Thank you, God, for your word, what you do in it, how you change us, how you touch our hearts, open our eyes to truth. God, I just pray that uh, your word never returns void, and we're just trusting in you, God, to do a, a mighty work in our hearts as we turn to you and pant after you in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Calvary Chapel and others, we just thank you for joining us here this evening. Uh, have a great week and continue to look on Facebook and um, we'll still continue things on Zoom, but keep your eye out there and God bless you and have a good rest of the week.